0: Hello, future doctors. Thanks again for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of asking for help. For many students, asking for help can make one feel that it's a sign of weakness. This is especially the case when you're trying to prove yourself worthy, as is seen in minorities achieving professions in STEM fields. Given one already feels like an outcast, Asking for help may make one feel like you're giving reason to the majority group that their conception of underrepresented minorities not belonging there is true. On the contrary, though, asking for help is essential to be successful. We're going to go over several reasons why many students may not ask for help and how to overcome those barriers. Topics shared today will come from our own personal experiences, and some will be referenced from a Carnegie Mellon University teaching website that I found to be useful. So first of all, let's touch base on some common reasons why underrepresented minority students don't ask for help that are related to cultural and ethnic identity. Dr. Marina, thinking back to high school through medical school, why do you think it's so hard for many underrepresented minority students to ask for help?
1: That's a great question. And I think that part of the reason why it's really hard to ask for help has to do with something that we talked about back in our episode on stereotype threat. That's in episode 11 if you haven't listened to it. Basically, when you ask a question or admit that you don't understand something, you're not simply asking a question. In the back of your mind, you might be worried that you will be judged badly for asking a question. For example, if you're a black woman and you know that there's a general stereotype that black women are not good at physics, you might be worried that by asking a question about physics, or admitting that you don't understand something, you're going to confirm the stereotype that Black women aren't good at physics. So basically, stereotype threat can really make asking questions so much harder because of that extra level of psychological fear.
0: As you can see, stereotype threat plays a big role in why underrepresented minorities often do not ask for help, especially in the fields of STEM. Please take some time to listen to our episode 11 to learn more about stereotype threat. Dr. Marina, what advice would you give to a student who feels this way?
1: Yeah, so two things. First, remind yourself that what other people think about you is their problem, not yours. Don't let other people's opinions interfere with your learning. The fact is that we as underrepresented minorities won't start disproving negative stereotypes about us unless we allow ourselves to be full participants in the learning process and therefore achieve our full academic potential. Number two, if you have a question, chances are that a lot of other people in the group, in the class, have the same questions, but they're also too afraid to ask. When you ask a question, you're not just helping yourself by getting an answer or an explanation, but you're actually helping others around you who don't have the courage to ask the question. And some of those people are going to really appreciate that you had the courage to ask the question because it helped them out as well. Just make sure that you're not the only one asking questions and hogging all of the participation time. So I have a little anecdote about this. My husband, who I met in college, we were both undergraduates at Stanford. We met when we were sophomores. He is Caucasian, and he loves to ask questions in class. (laughs) So when we were first dating, we happened to be taking a lot of the same classes, like um, biology and some of our chemistry classes. And so he would be really engaged in the lecture and he would just raise his hand whenever he wanted to. And it made me really uncomfortable because I myself was not comfortable asking questions. So when I saw him do that, I was like, what are you doing? Like this anxiety kind of just rose up inside of me. And over time I kind of understood that the fact that he was asking questions just meant that he was comfortable because of the way that he had been raised, the high school that he'd gone to, the way that he'd been trained, and he wasn't afraid like I was of confirming those negative stereotypes. So he was more comfortable doing that. And the fact is that because he asked all those questions, he actually learned a lot better than I did. Because whenever he had a question, or an interesting comment or anything, he was engaging with the material in a way that I didn't feel comfortable doing. What about you, Dr. Zulma? Did you feel comfortable asking questions in class?
0: Well, if I think back, I I think it wasn't until I was in residency until I started asking questions. In high school, college, and medical school, although I was an extrovert and a social butterfly outside of the classroom, you would have thought I was an introvert in the classroom or in a lecture hall. I tried as much as I could to hide myself when I was in class. I disliked actually doing group assignment work because it forced me to feel exposed that I wasn't smart to my peers. I literally thought that all of my questions were stupid questions. So many times I continued through schooling without having answers to my questions. You know, what's just so crazy is that how we all start out as small children asking a million questions to learn without feeling judged. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go spend a day with a four or five year old and that child will curiously ask you so many questions because he or she is trying to understand a concept. There is absolutely no fear in asking the questions when they do it, too. just makes you think why it is that we lose this as we grow older. Now, I also want to talk about another reason why asking for help is difficult, and this may just be due to the fear of rejection. This would be fear of your questions being belittled or not being viewed as important, and this may stem from stereotype threat, or it could just be related to past experiences you may have had. If you have been previously belittled for asking questions, the fear of being judged will obviously push you away. I feel that my fear of rejection was mostly pronounced in college and medical school. I feared asking questions because I thought I would be belittled by my professors, my doctor teachers, and especially my classmates. I think my fear mostly stemmed from stereotype threat when I think back. There is though a component of that that I think just came from my cultural upbringing. I was brought up by a father who believed children should never ask or question an adult or authority figure, but just follow orders. Of course, being a curious child, I still ask questions, but it was to my mom instead. My father felt that if you question too much, then that was a sign of disrespect to the other person. But we're going to talk about this a little bit more in detail later on in the podcast. Overcoming this fear started to happen, though, in residency. Since I had people's lives in my hands, I was forced to ask questions. I still struggled with some doctor teachers in approaching them, but later realized it was nothing about my questions, but rather they were just not approachable people. What about you, Dr. Marina?
1: Yeah, you know, like I mentioned, my husband was one of those people that was very comfortable asking questions in class. Um, And studies that I've read since that time, they show that people in class who raise their hands and ask the most questions, the ones who make the most comments in a discussion actually learn more than students who don't ask questions or who stay quiet. And that's because you're more engaged in the learning process. It's active learning like we've talked about many times before. And I know it can be scary to put yourself out there and ask questions or ask for help, But the sooner you learn how to overcome your fear or just push through your fear, the better you're going to be able to learn. And remember, like we talked about many times before, growth mindset. You won't get totally fearless overnight. You might never overcome your fear of asking questions, but it's a gradual process of just practicing and learning to overcome or push through that fear and ask for help when you need it. The fact is we all need help. Nobody becomes a doctor without a lot of help and support over many, many years.
0: Definitely agreed, Dr. Marina. Another struggle why some people avoid asking for help as well is not wanting to be a burden onto others. I struggled with this one too. I tended not to ask for help because I thought my teachers or professors were too busy already with other things. These two were also my thoughts when I was assigned to do group projects with peers. I didn't want to ask classmates questions because I thought I was being a burden on their time and productivity. I was going to slow them down by me asking them questions. I would instead take the back burner and stay silent, putting them before myself. And I think what we all need to do is step back a little bit and think about this. While being compassionate and respectful to others is a great thing, There's a thin line you can cross in which it actually hurts you more. When you need help, the compassion and respect needs to be pointed toward you. Be compassionate about your situation of feeling at a loss when in need of something and deserving that respect a time for someone to help you learn when you ask.
1: That reminds me, Dr. Zuma, of being in medical school. When I was about to fail those classes that set me back a year that I've talked about before, I pushed myself to go ask for help because I was desperate. I knew that I was in danger of failing and I knew that I needed help. So I actually did like get up the courage to go and ask a couple of professors for help. And unfortunately, they weren't really, really willing to help me. Like one of them kind of reinforced this idea that it was a burden by saying, oh, you know, it wouldn't be fair if I helped you, but I didn't help everybody else in the same way. And also, I don't want to spoon feed you information. So, you know, there are real experiences that we have that might reinforce this idea that we're being a burden onto others. But the fact is that, okay, maybe two of those people were um, not willing to help me at that time. But if I had kept searching, if I had asked more of my classmates, if I had asked um, more of the TAs in my anatomy class, they probably would have been able to help me and willing to help me. But don't give up. Just because you have one negative experience with someone that reinforces that idea, it doesn't mean that everybody is going to.
0: Definitely. Um, I think we're all going to experience roadblocks. And most of you, as you go through schooling and on your journey to medical school and beyond, there will be roadblocks, but it's not giving up and keep moving forward. So I agree with you, Dr. Marina. Then there's uh, the other thing too, and I actually came across this with a friend recently, and it's something called self-reliance. So some people are brought up in which all pride and value is placed on doing it all alone. In this situation, your self-worth may be seen to come from being independent and self-reliant. While these characteristics are good, in certain situations they can actually work against you. Here are some examples. So I'm going to start out with a good situation. So there's no doctors in your family or community. You have always wanted to be a doctor despite all that disencouraging feedback you get from others. You still make the decision to still go for it and be a doctor, although you might be the only one. You are embracing your individuality and decision on your own. So that's a great situation. Here's a bad situation where you don't want to use this self-reliance. You are taking a chemistry class. It has been a week already of trying to figure out some chemistry equations and you're struggling. You spend more than two hours every day trying to understand the same material. You tried every way you know to try to figure it out. You feel that you should be able to figure this out on your own. There is no way you're going to ask for help because you should be able to resolve this. You decide to just keep pushing through and perhaps it will come to you the following week. As you can see, Being too self-reliant in the second situation is not good for you. It can overestimate your own understanding and abilities. By asking for help, a student could have saved a week's worth of studying. On day one, if that student were to ask for help, it's likely that by day two or three, she or he may have mastered the material and moved on to further develop their learning. We need others to make it and cannot do everything on our own. I will tell you as a doctor today, I still need my colleagues to talk through difficult medical cases, and more often than not, we are learning from each other. This is so important in being a good doctor, and I'm sure, Dr. Marina, you relate to this.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Constantly, my colleagues and I, when we come across difficult cases, it's not like doctors know everything. You know, you do come across things that you don't know, you try to look up information, when you need it online or textbooks, but sometimes you're just kind of stumped. You're like, oh, I don't really know what's going on with this patient, what should I do? And so we talk about it amongst ourselves and we get ideas from each other and that's really helpful. Like you said, it is an important part of being a doctor is being able to reach out to your colleagues and other people and ask for help when you need it.
0: Another reason which may make it difficult to ask questions is that we don't recognize early enough that help is needed. This one often happens for first-generation college students in their first year. We think that all of our struggles and failures are related to just adjusting to a new life and should just get better with time. The reality is that we should be asking for help from day one so that we start with a good foundation. For example, we should be asking how to study best, how to organize a schedule effectively, asking for help on how to budget or just asking for help if you're having trouble with one of the subjects or one of your classes. Dr. Marina, when did you first realize that you needed help when you got to college?
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, as soon as I got there, but really it came to a head when I took my chemistry class, my second quarter of freshman year, and it totally kicked my butt. I had taken AP chemistry in high school, so I thought that some of the material would be familiar, But honestly, by the third week of class, I felt totally lost. There was too much information to learn coming so quickly, and I couldn't even make sense of all of it. It was hard to know what to focus on to begin with. And because I felt so lost, I was embarrassed to go to office hours because I didn't even know what questions I had. (laughs) What was I supposed to say? Um, Professor, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) So I ended up dropping the class and taking it again the next quarter. And I think I just barely squeaked by with a B minus or something like that.
0: Now, on the flip side, however, sometimes we do acknowledge that we need help. But more often than not, we are not aware of the resources that are available on our college campus. Sometimes it's just literally we just don't know where to go. I recall not knowing the purpose of office hours when I was in college my first year. I thought office hours for professors was like their scheduled work time. I didn't understand that all professors and teacher assistants designated that time every day to specifically offer extra help to students. So let's go over some good resources, so you're not like how I was, of where to start when you go to college. One, office hours. Again, your professors and TAs set aside this time specifically for the students. You can just drop by their office during these times, and it's usually an open door policy. Two, the Student Academic Support Center. Most universities have these, as there's usually a tutor available in in all subjects. You can sign up for a tutoring session, or sometimes they have drop in hours. Please use this resource, it's so important. And then there's the Cultural Resource Center offices. There's usually one that caters to different groups of students. For example, there's like a Chicano. Uh, resource center, African-American resource center, Native American, LGBT, or sometimes there's religious specific centers. Use these. These are very important. I feel that as being a minority student, I found this one to be the most helpful because I found the support of people who looked like me. And then for those of you that are in high school, asking for help is also important now. You are setting the foundation to prepare you for college. Ask teachers over and over again if needed. Try another teacher, another tutor, a counselor, or even your classmates. This is especially important if you're doing virtual learning right now during COVID. Please go to office hours as much as you need to to get the help you need. No shame in asking for help. Dr. Marina, can you think of any other resources that may be helpful for students in high school or college?
1: Thinking about high school specifically You know, every high school has high school counselors. And if you're in a large high school, this might be really difficult because often the counselors are pretty busy. They can be in charge of maybe like 500 to 800 students at a time. So the fact is that they're not going to have the time to necessarily reach out to you and check in with you every year or every few months to see, hey, how can I support you in your goals? So you have to be the one to go and schedule appointments with your counselor and tell them, hey, I really want help getting into college. This is what I want to do. Or I really need help succeeding in this class or whatever it is. But you really need to take the responsibility, unfortunately, in those situations to be proactive and go get the help that you need. Because like I said, sometimes those counselors, in reality, they're just really busy. But if they see a student coming to them asking for help repeatedly, They're going to get to know you and they're going to get to know how they can best help you and support you in your goals. But you have to be the one kind of knocking on the door in some situations. And then in college, I think I would just echo the things that you said. Make sure you go to those tutoring centers if your college has one. It's free help. And I mean, what's the worst that can happen is you don't necessarily find exactly what you need, but at least you tried. And what's the best that can happen? You find a great tutor that's really helpful in one of your hard classes or in multiple hard classes. And again, like you said, office hours, office hours, office hours. Mm-hmm. This is like a, something that some of us just don't grow up learning about. And in high school, you know, a lot of us didn't have office hours for our teachers in high school. So when we get to college, some of us don't even realize that that's an option, but it's there. Go look for it. Go use it.
0: Another reason why some students may not ask for help is that they have sought help that is not working, so they just decide to stop there. So as uh, Dr. Marina mentioned earlier, sometimes we do seek help and the teachers or professors are repeatedly unapproachable, so you feel like you get nothing out of it, so why keep on asking? Sometimes the way the professor or teacher explains it to you is still not understandable. Remember, not all professors and teachers are great at explaining things, and we all have different learning styles. If this is your case for a particular class, my suggestion would be ask for help in a study group, TA during office hours, an academic support center for additional tutoring. Don't give up at the first stop. If you are in high school, keep asking and use your resources as we mentioned earlier. On the flip side, sometimes students do work in a study group, but that study group may be toxic or distracting. Now, I'm guilty of engaging in distracting study groups in college. We would end up talking about things that had nothing to do with studying or going out to socialize instead, going to get something to eat. So, and this is not good if you're needing help in a class and trying to study and, and be and achieve and getting a good grade. So this is partly, I think, a reason why I didn't do so great my first year in college. While I was not in a toxic group, I have had friends who participated in study groups where there was unhealthy competition and a lot of negative criticism. If there is a person like this in your group, just go ahead and leave early on because you don't need that added stress. There are a lot more students on campus who could be much nicer. Dr. Marina, did you ever feel stuck after asking for help and perhaps gave up after that?
1: Yeah, I think it was with the story I mentioned with that anatomy professor and the other professor as Well, unfortunately, in that situation, I kind of did give up because it was kind of devastating to go to someone and ask for help. You're desperate. You really need that help. And they say no. And... I think I just sort of gave up. I didn't give up completely, but I gave up in asking for help. I was like, well, I'm just going to have to buckle down, stay up late until these exams, do the best that I can. And I did, and it wasn't quite enough. So I didn't necessarily give up, like I said, but I didn't keep asking for help. You know, in that situation, I probably, there are people that I could have gone to in addition to the professor that could have helped me, but I was kind of just deflated after being rejected like that. And I did give up in terms of asking for help.
0: Thank you for sharing that, because I know that must have been so hard when you were going through all of that. Another reason that makes it difficult to ask for help, it's us. It's our very own personality traits. You may have been the go-to person all your life from both family and friends, so you feel that you should understand everything. It's almost as if you have adopted the mantra that people should depend on you and you not depend on other people. Time to let that go when you are applying to a college, in college, and for the rest of your life. This personality trait is often linked to the fear of losing control. For those of you who like to be in control, and I would venture out and say a lot of type A students who are likely to be doctors, the fear of losing control is real. You've been trying to hold it together for so long that the idea of asking for help may make you feel like you are losing grip. You do not want the floodgates to open. Well, I'm here to tell you, opening the floodgates is the beginning to change and learning. Through our obstacles and weaknesses is how we can measure our growth. Asking for help is a great way to start this process because when you are down, the only direction that's left is up. Please check out our episode on growth mindset to learn more about this topic. Then there are psychological reasons that can get in the way of asking for help. Acknowledging if you are having symptoms of depression or anxiety or both is important. They both play a huge role in being able to ask for help as part of the mental health condition. There is still significant stigma associated with mental health, especially in the communities of color. Although it feels uncomfortable, I would suggest you ask for help. A good place to start is if you're in high school, talk to a counselor or a teacher, your parent, or even your own doctor. If you are in college, walk on over to the Mental Health Resource Center and make an appointment. Nobody needs to know, but do it for yourself. And also, please check out our episode on depression and anxiety as we talk more about it. Dr. Marina, anything you would like to add, given this played a significant role in your education?
1: Yeah, like I've talked about many times before, I did struggle with depression during medical school, which contributed to my academic struggles, no doubt. And I think what happened really was because I was depressed, everything was magnified. Everything was harder. So studying was harder. Asking for help was harder. I didn't just once in a while think, oh, I'm too dumb or I'm not as good as other people. Those negative thoughts were in my mind constantly, all day, every day, for years. So it just makes everything harder, including asking for help, as it did in my case, And also just asking for help from my classmates as well, because sometimes you look around and you think, oh, everybody else's life is great. It's easy for everyone except me. And depression, you know, it's sort of like seeing the world through really dark glasses. Everything looks worse than it actually is. And so I would look around, compare myself and think I'm the only one having trouble. So I'm not going to ask my classmates for help because they're going to realize how dumb I am. And how I just don't understand things like they do. So yes, it definitely affected um, (laughs) me in that way. And it made everything harder, including asking for help.
0: Finally, the last area in which creates a, a struggle test for help is that we think the strategy or situation is set and then there's no room for change. For example, you've decided that you are just not good enough or smart enough in a specific class or course that you're struggling with. Given you have this thought set in your mind, you will unknowingly make decisions along the way to support this thought. This is a great example of a concept called self-fulfilling prophecy. This is a theory by a sociologist, Robert Merton, in which he defined it as a false definition of the situation, evoking a new behavior which makes the original false conception come true. In other words, your beliefs will be the cause of your consequences because you will unknowingly do things to make your belief true. If you think already you will not pass a class because you are not smart or good enough, you will probably, again, unintentionally do things to not pass your class. For example, you will not ask for help, you will not study as much, you will miss lectures, you will not complete homework assignments. Your reasoning in doing these things may be I'm tired. Oh, I just don't have time right now. Oh, I'll study on my own instead of going to class. Oh, one missed assignment. That shouldn't hurt me so much. Again, while you are not saying these things out loud, your actions will support failing the class, which you will blame on not being good or smart enough, which was your initial belief. When in fact, if you would have asked for help, studied, went to your lectures, and completed your assignments, you could have very well excelled in that class, disproving your initial belief. Dr. Marina, can you think about a self-fulfilling prophecy that affected you all in high school or college?
1: Yes, I can. It has to do with procrastination. For some reason, I've always been kind of a procrastinator. (laughs) I tend to put things off until the last day or the last minute. So this became a self-fulfilling prophecy because what would happen is I would dread doing my assignment or my term paper or whatever it was because I thought it would be miserable. So that was my my false belief was doing this math assignment or doing this problem set or studying or writing this paper is going to be miserable. So I would put it off because I thought it was going to be miserable. And so I would put it off, put it off, put it off until the last minute. And suddenly it's the night before. I have a 10-page paper due tomorrow. I have to pull an all-nighter. I am miserable because of all those things. But it's not because the assignment itself Was inherently miserable to do. It was because I procrastinated, and that's why it was miserable. So it became kind of a self fulfilling prophecy that was caused by my own false belief
0: to begin with that doing work was going to be miserable. That's a great example, Dr. Marina. I think a lot of us can relate to that one. Uh So remember to start each new semester, or if your school goes by quarter system, with a new mindset. And even if you don't believe it, tell yourself you will do well in this class because you are smart enough. And do the things to make it happen. Ask for help. Strategies are never set. They will always evolve and be open, and you have to be willing to adapt. I want to add one more thing that can explain why it's hard for some of us to ask for help, especially in college. There are very real cultural and social class differences that affect how we're taught to interact with people in positions of authority. In many minority cultures, as I had mentioned earlier, children and teens are taught that respecting authority figures and elders means being quiet and not interrupting. It's also often viewed as wrong to question an authority figure. So again, most of your professors, your teachers, they're going to be older than you and in positions of authority. Again, which can make minorities not want to ask for help because you might think that they interpret it as being rude or disrespectful. Dr. Marina, how was was it for you growing up in your home?
1: Yeah, in my house growing up, pretty much if my mom or dad asked me to do something and I got kind of snarky and asked why, a lot of times the answer was because I said so, especially (laughs) my mom. She liked to say that Uh, because it was sort of like, I'm giving her attitude by questioning. And the fact is she's in the authority figure. So I'm just supposed to do what she says. But also growing up in a religious household, I was taught that if a religious leader says something, I shouldn't question it. In fact, if I did question something at church or from my religious leaders, it could be considered wrong or sinful. And I liked the example you gave Dr. Zulma, of like, you know, your dad had that attitude of like you just don't ask questions. Um you just do it and so you would kind of go to your mom. And that was a little bit similar for me as well.
0: Yeah, um with myself growing up it was if you asked the why, it was so disrespectful and um I mean we would even get like punished for it like oh you need to go to your room or time out because we asked why where it was more so Not to have an attitude, but Uh I was honestly curious. So um, when you grow up in a home situation and this is ingrained in you, you know, it's not not until now as an adult that I've made that connection. Like, oh, that's why it's so hard for me to especially ask people who are older than me question sometimes when I question things, um, or especially when I was in, in college and medical school as well. Uh-huh. Um, and then I think being a minority as well, and because I was an immigrant to this country, I felt even more stress when it was a Caucasian person that was older than me. Yeah, <laughs> it was like the stress to ask them always, am I being really rude? I'm supposed to be really quiet, whatever feedback they tell me it's true. And I need to just stay quiet. Because again, Growing up, being an immigrant, it's just something that feels like ingrained because you don't want to cause a ruckus anywhere in society or anything like that. But it turned out to be quite the Uh -uh. opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh. All right. So in addition to culture, your social class can play a role. If you come from a lower social class, in other words, if you grew up poor, you're also taught to do what you're told. Keep your head low and not question authority. Many people who work in the service industry as servers or cooks or housekeepers don't have much to say in what they do. They are at the bottom of the workforce totem pole, and they have to learn to do what they're told or they'll get fired. They don't usually get to have an opinion about how things are done. They just have to follow orders. Again, this is a great example of how my parents were wherever it was that they worked as well. So this is what they modeled to me as well. So I think this plays a big role too in in Uh people who come from a lower social class. On the contrary, kids growing up in white, middle, or upper class communities get very different lessons about authority. They are still taught to respect authority, but what that actually looks like is different. They are encouraged to engage with adults, join discussions, and ask questions. One place you see the stark difference is if you look at at high school students at college prep schools versus normal public schools. College prep schools intentionally train their students to engage with their teachers and administrators, to go to their office hours, and to ask for help when they need it. They are taught to network and make connections with people in order to get jobs, internships, or other opportunities. They are trained to feel confident interacting with people in positions of authority.
1: Yeah, this is definitely something that I noticed when I got to college at Stanford was that there were a lot of students, a lot of my fellow students who were coming from these very good college prep schools, private schools. And it seemed like transitioning to college for a lot of them wasn't hard. It was just kind of like, oh, I, this is the stuff I did in high school. Like I was trained to talk to my professors, talk to my administrators, go to office hours, you know, ask questions, engage in interesting conversations with people older than me. So for a lot of my classmates, it seemed like the transition to college was pretty easy. But that was the opposite for me because I had not come from that kind of background where I was taught how to do those things. And I really had to kind of even just understand what was happening and then really try to mimic those behaviors in order to catch up.
0: You know, Dr. Reno, what I found so surprising when I was in college was how there were students who would go during these office hours to talk about how they deserved a higher grade. Uh In my mind, I thought, wow, how how dare they do that? (laughs) But again, it's just like we weren't exposed where you, you speak up. It's almost like whatever was on your report card, whatever grade you got, that's just what you got. You took it and that was it. So I'm pretty sure you you saw that going to Stanford.
1: <laughs> yes, I did. In fact, when I realized that kind of stuff was happening, I had the same reaction. It's like, like what? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Like how dare how dare you feel entitled to like question that, you know? Unless you really feel like there was a genuine mistake, but those students, it wasn't a genuine mistake. It was that they felt entitled to a higher grade.
0: And they felt comfortable
1: questioning authority, and I did not.
0: Oh, no, neither did I. (laughs) So on the other hand, teens who attend public high schools, i.e., Dr. Marina and myself, we don't get as much encouragement and training in these things. Because these schools don't have as many resources as college prep or private schools, they don't prepare students in the same ways. When students get to college, they don't feel comfortable talking to professors, going to office hours, or asking for help. So if you find yourself in this position and you wonder why other students don't have as hard a time as you do asking for help, go easy on yourself. Nobody is born being comfortable asking for help. It's a learned skill, and if you practice at it, you can get better. Remember that growth mindset episode. Please listen to it. Start stepping out of your comfort zone and talk to your TAs, talk to your professor's Go to office hours and ask for help when you need it. I promise it can make a huge difference in your ability to succeed. Is there anything else you can think of that you'd like to add, Dr. Marina?
1: Just emphasizing that point, Dr. Zulma, that it's not like the classmates that you see around you that are comfortable doing those things, they weren't born comfortable doing those things. They had to learn it and they had four or more years of experience in high school practicing those skills. So you're just going to have to practice. It's not like overnight you're going to be suddenly better at asking for help, but just take it step by step. Practice. The more you do it, the more you ask for help, the better you're going to get, just like almost everything else in life.
0: Definitely. So in summary, practice asking for help, just like Dr. Marina said. Ask questions in class. The more you do it, the more comfortable it gets. Ask questions during office hours be part of group study, and find answers together. If you are enjoying this podcast, please remember to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok to stay informed about new episodes and other fun stuff. We would love to hear from you, what you like about the show, what you don't, and what you would like to hear more about. You can contact us through our website, at www.futureminoritydoctor.com by clicking on the Contact Us tab. Also, if you like our show and would like to support our work, please consider making a donation of any amount. Even a dollar helps us. These donations help pay for our website, recording services, and podcast editing. Please note that you must be 18 years or older to donate. If you're not in a position to donate, don't worry. Just keep listening.
1: Until next time,
0: peace and love, everyone.